It's great to be here again. I love being here, uh, well, at, at any church in uh, the beginning of the year because, you know, New Year's, that's, you know, new starts and all that. And um, it's become fashionable to poo-poo that. To go, oh, well, it's no, no really real big deal. But I think it's a big deal. Anytime God can get us to give thanks where we've been or be glad that we're over, you know, what happened before, anytime, however, come, where we're in a place go, okay, now what? What is the future? I think God's really good with that. And so in our culture, like the first couple of weeks of January is one of those taking stock of the old and, you know, looking forward to the new, hopefully. And hopefully you're not going... I just don't want another 2018. If I can just just get through 2019 without it looking at all like 2000. Now, there's something about Christians uh, within this culture that I think we're designed to take advantage of these, these opportunities to evaluate and figure out how God wants to lead us forward in his plan for us. Um, I think Christians are better equipped to take advantage of these things. And am I setting you up for a New Year's challenge? Yes, I'm setting you up. Um, I wanna share something that stirs in my heart and why should I be the only one stirred? I wanna bring you all along with me. Uh, before I do, I wanna pray. I mean, all the other prayers were great. Kent, that was a great prayer. You didn't miss anything. But I wanna pray because I got the mic. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've done and who you are and what you're doing. Um, I thank you right now that you sent the Holy Spirit to us. That's amazing. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We know that you're not only amongst us, we know that you dwell inside of us. That's mind-boggling. The very Spirit of Jesus dwells in us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do what no one else can do. Reveal tr Jesus and truth in a way that transforms us, that energizes us. We don't want to just be informed. We don't want just to have a good message or a bad message and evaluate like we're going to a movie. Lord, Holy Spirit, we look to you to bring truth to us in a way that equips us and heals us and encourages us and leads us forward. God, we ask that you would do that for our sakes. Would you do that for the sakes of those that you would entrust to us? And we ask that you do it for the sake of your name, which we carry with us wherever we go. Amen. Before I land where I want to go, I want to set it up. There's uh, three principles that it's good for us to keep in mind. Here's the first one. God's kingdom is always advancing. God's kingdom is always growing. There, there, I, I could have given you like 30 examples, 30 scripture, but then pff, what about the rest of the message? But God's kingdom is not a static thing. It's not something that we're to manage. Uh, God's kingdom is always moving. It says... In Matthew chapter 11, uh, actually, Jesus says this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, 
and forceful men and women. Lay hold of it. This doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is running at a rapid pace, but it's always moving with a measure of a force, with a measure of power. Slow things can have power. Um, when I was a little kid, I was full of mischief. And uh, me and my friends, we used to go to this, this swim club. You know, it was, it was a, a private town swim club. And we used to go there and swim. But then afterwards, we'd go behind where there was a, a railroad track. And, and we'd follow the railroad track down just a little bit. And uh, there was a place where there was this little creek or stream. And, uh, well, we used to just do stupid stuff. We'd stand on the tracks while the train would come slowly. And then we'd dip down and hold on, right, and then drop into the... We just did stupid stuff. But, but one, of the, one of the most stupid things was the train, because it was going through town, it would go really slow. And I decided, I was a leader, I said, I'm going to jump on one of those things. It's going so slow. That would be fun. We'll, we'll, we'll go maybe like a half mile down. And everybody, yeah, 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 you go first. So I went first. And it's going so slow, I'm going, well, you know, what could be the thing? And so there was this little handle of some sort, and it's going by real slow. And I just went nonchalantly, right? It almost ripped my shoulder out of the socket. You know, I'm going, whoa! And I'm sort of holding it on, but I'm going, pop, 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 And so I, I'm glad I didn't come under the wheels. And it was a mess, and everybody's laughing, except me. So I determined in my heart, because this train would always go through on a particular day. So I waited a week, and sure enough, I'm waiting for the train, but this time I'm ready. This real slow thing, right? Still, though, it was slow, it, it moved inexorably forward. I mean, it just didn't stop for anything. So this time, I hitched up, and I grabbed that thing like I meant it. I grabbed it and got on, and my friends, they got on too. Now, that's just not an autobiographical thing. The kingdom of God is forceful. It may not move real fast. It may not always be sexy and, ooh, ah, look at the kingdom. But it's always, 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 always moving forward. It's always growing, always moving out. And forceful people, you don't have to be gregarious like me or loud like, uh, <laughs> like her, right? No, you don't, it's not a personality thing. It's a matter of choice. That, that the kingdom of God's always moving. Are we going to be forceful enough not to grab a hold of the kingdom of God nonchalantly, but make these decisions like, mm, I'm not letting go of this thing. The kingdom of God is always moving, it's always growing, and it takes a little bit of determination to, to go along with it. Just to go along with it. Kingdom of God's always moving. Look, Jesus' idea that church is almost always different than ours. Jesus said, I'm going to build this church. You know what the evidence of the church is going to be, of a strong church? Is that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That a church is actually being built by God. Yes, there's holiness, greater relationships, and all that sort of stuff. But the ultimate expression of a church that's being built by the Spirit of God 
is a church that is heaven-bent on experiencing its part of the Great Commission. That's like the primary evidence of a growing, healthy church. The kingdom, the kingdom of God is always little by little going out. It doesn't have to be big, doesn't have to be a program, but there's something about the kingdom of God in and through the church will be evidenced by little by little by little by little by little by little. We push back the kingdom of darkness and replace it with the kingdom of Jesus. Second thing, kingdom of God is missional. It's purposeful. God never just does something just for the heck of it. I, hopefully I don't have to persuade you. Whatever God does in us or through us or to us, he always has some sort of purpose behind it. So most of the time, we don't really know the full purpose, but our God is not a haphazard God. He doesn't, doesn't throw things together. He's not a random God. What kind of song would, would that be? Our God is a random God. I mean, you know, that's just crazy stuff. Whatever God, he, he's got a big plan, and then he's got a plan for us, and his plan for us fits into the bigger plan. He's always purposeful. And the, the issue is not whether or not God's got a plan, but how do we actually respond to that plan? What, what does a mature believer look like knowing that God's got a plan for their life? They don't have to be perfect, but a mature, watch this. In Philippians, Paul says this. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Forgetting what's behind, even the good stuff, the good old days, and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. God's got a plan for your life. He's got a path. Talked about this last night. We had a great time. Um, God, God's got a plan for each one of us, and it's a good plan. It's got purpose. It's designed to build us up, to strengthen us so we can be all that we're called to be, and to have kingdom impact on our spheres of influence. That's how God set it up. What's our relationship to it? Do we go, wow, that's really good. I like my plan, but just in case my plan doesn't work, it's good to know God has got his plan. God wants us to be mature, and one of the ways that he wants us to be mature is actually to think like Paul. Actually, Paul said, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. That wherever you are, you could know a lot of Bible and you know, been around a lot, and, and that experience means a lot, but those are not the only marks of maturity. Learning how to love people who are unlovable, you know, um, learning how to believe God when it's really hard to believe God, faith. But another one is to go, God's got a plan for my life. It's, I'm not being prideful. I'm not being ambitious. But one of the marks of maturity is go, look, whatever my plan is, if it conflicts with God, God's plan works. And even if I don't know what the plan is, I want to grab a hold of it. I want to say yes to God's plan for my life so that little by little by little I can grow into who he wants me to be and I can fulfill the purpose that he has for us. Third thing, and you all know this, and this is, everybody loves the first two, or at least they agree with it. The third one is where we go, oh, right? God's kingdom always brings change and transformation. When you're going forward, you go, going forward, there's some good things in us that God says, why don't you get rid of the good things so you can get you know, these new things I have for you? And of course there's sin, but look, look what it says here in Hebrews 12. Let's throw off everything that hinders 
and, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that Jesus has marked out for us. There's something about, as we lay a hold of things, it, it, God doesn't throw everything away, but have you ever noticed there are times when even some good things, God wants you to let go of so you can lay a hold of the new things that God has for us? I mean, am I the only person who's had this? Yeah, get, be married for more than a year, right? There's great things, and you go, okay, you got to, those childish expectations, why do you let go of them and grab a hold of the real fun stuff of learning to be one flesh and all that? Anyway, there's something about that the kingdom of God's always advancing and always has purpose, and if we lay a hold of it, it's going to change us. It's going to challenge us. They're going to be just sort of change things that maybe we got away with before, we don't get away with anymore. Or it's, maybe it's not a matter of sin, it's just a matter of the mindsets, habits, traditions, that nothing's wrong with them, but God's doing some new things. There's a fourth one that I didn't put up there, only because it sort of came to me this morning, and so it couldn't get up there. And this, this is a no-duh, but it's really the bottom line. Just want to remind us that Jesus is the king of his kingdom. That means he gets to call the shots. His opinion is actually more important than ours. He, he never humiliates us. He never goes, look, I'm Jesus and you're, you're not, and your thoughts mean nothing. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't talk like someone from New Jersey, right? He just doesn't. But Jesus is the boss. He died for the church. His idea of what the kingdom is is the right idea. His idea of what maturity looks like, that he wins on that one. His idea of the ultimate nature and purpose of the church, this is Jesus' idea. And have you ever noticed that when your ideas conflict with Jesus's, he never changes? I, I've spent so much time in my life trying to cut mutual non-aggression packs between God's ideas and mine. And you know, usually there's a resistance, and I've learned over time, okay, God, I'm going to hold my ideas lightly, teach me your ways. But the most the craziest time is when God goes, okay, I'm not going to fight you. And you no longer have an argument with God. That means he's going, all right, let's see how your ideas, what kind of fruit your ideas really produce. And we'll let you go. And if it doesn't work out, you know where I am. I mean, it sounds like God's like a mafia boss, but he's not. So what is it? What does this have to do with us? No, really. So sometimes it's like a sanctified mafia boss. Jesus goes, Jesus go, look, I have, I'll give you an offer. You can refuse, but you don't want to. Sorry. I want to illustrate this by just talking very briefly in the broadest possible terms about Israel's journey from Egypt through the desert toward the promised land. There are some really good, it's a really good illustration, and it gives us opportunities to sort of see where we are in our walk with God. Hopefully you know the story. If not, it's in a best-selling book. Um, the, the people of, of God, Israel, they were enslaved by the Egyptians. There was a promise of a Messiah, a savior, a deliverer. He's going to come, and they had to wait a long time for that. Finally, Moses shows up, and with great signs, wonders, and miracles, 
and some sort of disagreement amongst leaders, disagreement between Moses and the people. It wasn't a smooth transition. But finally, God uses Moses to lead Israel out of captivity but by a strong right hand. God did not just deliver the people of God out of Egypt just so they could be free from that. God delivered them from that to bring them into promises. The freedom that God gives us is never just freedom from certain things. He delivers us from things because he loves us. He, he doesn't want us to be captive, but he delivers us from these things so that we are free to experience his promises, the plans that he has for us. So that's what he did with the people of God. He goes, I've got a land of milk and honey. I've got a land of promise. It's no resemblance at all to the land of slavery. You can't say, yeah, I know what it looks like, but I delivered you from that. I've got plans for you. And if you follow me, I'll lead you into the land of promise. So he does that. Now, along the way in the desert, God blesses him. Incredible. You know, led by a pillar of fire. That's crazy. I mean, look, if while you were giving the announcements, right, and, you, and you're, you know, self-deprecating and all of a sudden, pff, pillar of fire, people would listen to you. So how, how was church? How was church? Oh, it was great. It was great. The guy who was doing the announcement, God really backed him up, pillar of fire. I mean, that's right. That's right. And she'd be going, that's my honey. That's right. It happens all the time. Every time he mows the lawn, there's a pillar of fire. Anyway, God blessed them. He made provision for them. Uh, he gave them food when they needed food. He gave them water when they needed water. He gave them, well, he didn't give them a lot of shoes. Their sandals never wore out. I, I preached on this little thing one time, and there was a lady going, and the blessing in that is? <laughs> you know, just one pair of shoes? Anyway, so they're blessed in the desert along the way, but we should always remember the blessing of God should not ever be equated with the destiny of God. God had a promise. God had vision for their lives. And it was way beyond their capacity. Because God says, I have for you a land flowing with milk and honey. I have a land for you where you're not just free from things. You can prosper, raise your kids, and it's a whole new life. I have that for you. Along the way, God blessed them, but the blessings shouldn't be equated with the promise. Just because God's blessing us along the way, it doesn't mean that we've arrived. It's good to be blessed along the way. When God just gives us a job or heals our heart, all these things are great. But there's promise that God wants to fulfill in our lives. We are not designed by God just to experience blessing. We are created by God to experience the plans, the purposes, the promises brought to you by the letter P. You know, we, are, we are created for that. The problem with the people of Israel is they complained about the journey. They complained about the journey. How many times did the people of God go, you know, it was a little better way back when? 
Do you remember when everything was predictable? Do you remember when everything was manageable? Do you remember when we, we knew where we fit? Remember the good old days when we were in slavery, Moses? And you're bringing us through the desert, and you're going to kill us. This is no good. And then there's rebellion. Korah rises up and goes, look, we can hear from God too. Why should you lead us? You know, we don't believe in leadership. We just believe in everybody just sort of following God. I mean, all the stuff that most churches go through, Israel went through. The, the journey was not easy. And when they complained, and when they wanted to go back to the quote-unquote good old days, did God smite them? No. Did he did, did beat them up? No. There was no tragic ending for that. It's just they died in the desert. Now, they died blessed. They, there are a lot of good things happened. The tragedy is not how they died. The tragedy is they died outside experiencing the fullness of God's promise for their life. Now, does God still love them? Yes. Did he bless them? Were they still his children? Absolutely. The love of God is not on the table. It's whether or not the people of God want to actually go through the processes to experience God's promise for their lives. So, Joshua, he takes over from Moses, and hopefully you know this story. Joshua, he's ready to lead, and God starts speaking to him. This is in Joshua chapter 1. He goes, Moses is dead. Now Moses, uh, uh, Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. He knew Joshua was dead. He knew, uh, he knew that Moses was dead. He knew it. Why did God inform him of something that he already knew? Because God was not informing him. He was giving him a new perspective. He was saying, hey, you know something? You don't have to be Moses. That the kind of leadership that brought you through the desert was perfect for that part of the journey. Perfect. You needed a strong leader who could just bring people through the desert. You needed that top-down kind of guy. But that's dead. The thing that has brought you to where you are, it was great, but God's saying, new ways, new day, new ways. There's a different way of leading you into the promises. Moses spent all of his time leading the people toward the promises. Joshua's job was to lead the people into, to actually experience the promises. So it required a different way of leadership. Moses talked less and equipped more. I mean, Joshua talked less and equipped more. I mean, he was always so that... The, the people of God could actually take the land and experience the promises. Moses is dead is not like, oh, Moses is dead. It was just, you got to be who God called you to be, Kent. You got to be who God called you to be. Learn from those who come before you. Learn from those who come before you. But you don't have to be like those who came before you. Be who God created you to be. And then he goes, now get ready. Get ready to cross over. You know, it's real easy to believe in the promises of God, and it takes faith to believe that God has more for us than we're currently experiencing. I mean, there's a measure of faith to actually believe that. But you know where the faith really comes? Actually changing your life now and preparing for what God has for us. 
I believe I'm going to have a great budget. I'm going to make ends meet. I'm going to have some left over so I can give to missions. I believe that. Amen. Now prepare to cross over. You mean I got to actually make a budget? And I actually got to learn, change how I do things so I can actually live within the budget? Yeah, prepare, get ready. Make changes for, the, for, for your future. He's telling that to Joshua. And then he goes, see the promise. I mean, see, see what I have for you. And it was pretty big. And after, after he said, look at the nature of the promise, he goes, I promise you, wherever you set your foot, there will be battles, but you're going to win. That nobody and nothing will be able to stand against you. Why? Because you're all that? No, because I'll be with you. Can you imagine that? God gives you a promise. And he said, here's what you can be. This, and, and it will require change, an ongoing change. And there's going to be a process that will make you go crazy sometimes, but it will be worth it. There will be battles. But know this. Every step you take while there is a battle, you'll win. You'll win because I'm with you every step of the way. That's an incredible, it's not just you'll experience the promises, but God will be right there as you go through the processes. And then he tells this great warrior, a man of great courage, great strength, he goes, now be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Have I not commanded you? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Why would God say that? Why would God say that to a guy who's already strong and courageous? Because he's going to need it. When's the best time to prepare for war? Before the battle. So what God did is he downloaded strength and courage to an already strong guy because wherever you're going to set your foot, someone's already living there. There's always going to be some opposition. Haven't we noticed this? That we, 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 have, we have two enemies. There's the enemy without that would like to keep us from going forward. And then there's the enemy within. Our soul, our flesh said, look, good enough is good enough. That, that same O is better than taking risks. That that there's something in us that says, look, we, I know God loves me, which is always true. Therefore, God would never bring me out of my comfort zone. So in Joshua chapter 1, there was an impartation of strength and courage so, so that they could go to their last leg to actually cross over. And this is where we get to Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. They've been in Egypt, long process, a lot of difficulties, some failures, some great successes, change of leadership, change of leadership culture, all these sorts of changes. And now here they are. Joshua has got his folks. He's been getting them ready. He, he's just ready to go over. And it says, and, and then they camped at this this town, this location called Shittim. Now remember, to the pure, all things are pure. Don't, don't let this distract you. It's a Bible word. And I'm being really nice, because that word Shittim, that's not the actual pronunciation. 
And I'm not, I'm not doing a play on words. I'm not playing around. It's just, this is what God used, so I figure it's okay. So here, they, they, they've been going through, and they're camped at this place called Shittim. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites, they set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Now, let's just say here's the River Jordan and here's Shittim. It really wasn't a long distance. They're all camped here. Here's the River Jordan. And it's like, okay, break camp. Leave Shittim and go hop, skip, and a jump and just camp here to prepare to go over. Why did they camp at Shittim? Why did God lead them to camp at Shittim? I believe I have some insight. The people of Israel, they were a historical people. They, they saw that their journey, that their ancestors, those who'd gone before, that, that their current history was very much tied to where they came from and the people from which they came. That it, it was this one thing. And they knew their history. As they were coming to Shittim, and Joshua goes, all right, we're going to camp here. I bet you a lot, a lot of the older ones who knew this stuff going, why are we camping here? I'm uncomfortable with this place. Why would they be uncomfortable? Well, in Numbers 25, we know. Shittim was the place where the people of God, you know, they're, they're going through the desert and all this sort of stuff. And they decided, and, and instead of keeping on going, they decided to camp at Shittim. And they stayed just a little bit too long. And because they stay, they, they camped when they should have been moving on, it set them up for compromise. They started intermarrying. And you know what happened with the intermarrying? It sort of, you know, it, it put a, a, a damper on their progress, right? God didn't hate anybody. He's going, mmm. You're camping when you should be moving on. Uh, don't do it. There you are, intermarrying. You're unevenly yoked. A little more time in the desert, please. So here are these people. They have this long history. They know what happened to Shatim, and then God brings them to Shatim again. God's a genius. It's like a divine reset. He goes, okay, we're at Shatim. Hey, y'all remember what happened? Wasn't good, was it? Yeah, Shittim. It's, it's the place that if you stay there too long, well, it'll put a lid on your forward progress. You better believe it when Joshua goes, it's time to break camp. It's time, let, let's just leave Shittim and they all went, okay, good, let's go. Let's get out of that place. And all they had to, all they did was just little teeny steps from Shittim they, they didn't, nobody ever said, all right, now let's go cross over. It was like, take steps out of the place where there's a potential for lids or compromise. Just take steps out of it toward the promises and just camp at the Jordan. There's a principle for all of us, myself included. There are times when God Leads us through stuff, and he wants us to camp and relax and be fruitful and strengthen and consolidate, and he does all those wonderful things for us. But there's also times to move on. 
There's times to go on to new things, to think new things, to, to upgrade things, upgrade marriages, upgrades our relationship with the Lord, upgrades how we do churches. There's always a, God's, remember the kingdom of God's, I'm wiggling a lot. The kingdom of God is always advancing. He's always growing. He's always, he's always pushing out. There's always new stuff. Always, always, always. There are times when God wants us to camp and establish and maintain and develop traditions and all that. He's not against that. But we can't afford to camp when God wants us to move on. The, you know, Shittim is not the only place. You all know about what happened to David. David, when, when kings were supposed to be going to war, all he did is decide to lay back. Was it because, did, did he fall because he had a lust problem? No more of a lust problem than any other human being. There, 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 there's, al there's always that potential. He should have been fighting but he started to pull back. Here's another one. We all know about Abram, but what about his father, <clears throat> Terah? God told Terah, hey, Terah, there's a land of promise. I want you to take your family and take them from this new age place and take them on a journey toward this land of promise. What you what, what I have for you, you can't experience where you, where, where, where you are right now. So Terah did his job as a leader. He did his job as a father. What he did, he said, look, I'm going to experience everything that God has for you. I'm going to set out on that journey, and I'm going to bring my family with me. Now, Abram, he's pretty happy about that. Why? Because God had already spoken to him. Hey, there's a land of promise flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, Canaan. When daddy comes home and says, it's time for us to move out of what's familiar and what's manageable and go towards something that we don't know what it is, but we know it's better, Abram was ecstatic. He goes, that's my dad. That's my dad. He's, a, he's an example of someone who wants to lay a hold of that for which God laid a hold of him, and he's going to bring me along in his wake. The only problem is, somewhere along the journey, Tara. He, he found this place called Haran. And Haran is just sort of, it's got a 7-Eleven, you know, and a red roof and all that. It's a long journey. And he decided to stop there and rest. Then he stayed there a little longer. Then he decided to live there. And it says then he died in Haran. Poor Abram. Poor Abram. Abram probably went, wait a second. I was looking to this father figure. You're going to inspire me to go in the problem. You're going to take me in. And you decide to settle short. You decided to say good enough is good enough. You decided just to maintain. What about the promises of God? Fortunately, Abram was really smart. He didn't let his father's imperfections become an excuse. They actually became opportunities for God to really father Abram. God just told Abram, come on, let's, let's go. Let's, let's get the train out of the station. You know, act like a father. Even though you were poorly fathered, I got you. I'll father you, and you'll be a father of many nations. So he did it. Mm. It's not up there, but there's a scripture, uh, Luke 9.62. Um, this is where Jesus says, anyone who sets their hand to the plow and looks back 
is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, this, I'm going to tell you what it's not saying. It's not saying if, if, if you want to just maintain and always look back, it doesn't mean that God's not going to bless you. It doesn't mean that God won't love you. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation. None of that's on the table. To be fit is to be equipped. Anybody who lays their hand on the plow and looks back, they're putting themselves in a position where they're not equipped for the future that God has for them. Seriously, get in your car. Get black spray, uh, uh, spray paint. Sit there and paint the whole inside of your windshield. Right? And you, that's all. So you can't see forward. And then put on Google Maps. Hit the thing wherever you're going. And try to get where you have to go by going backwards. A lot of bodies, a lot of dents. You might make it, but dang, it's a lot better to look forward than to always look back. Again, I'm not trying to be funny here, but this would be a good time for us as individuals and a good time for us as a church family to go, hmm, what's our shatim? What are the things that we know it's comfortable, it's manageable, but if we stay where we're at, at the very least it'll put a lid on our experiencing the promises that God has for us. There's something about recognizing it and then doing something about it. God did not tell everybody, okay, leave Shatim and we're going over now. He didn't do it all at once. He just did it little by little by little. I'm going to leave you with a story. A number of years ago, I was living in Idaho, and uh, my wife and my kids had never been to the ocean. And where we were, their idea of a great time was a hotel. I mean, you know, when they're little kids, hotels are great so long as you have a pool. And so let's go on a little weekend vacation. Oh, good. Are we going to go to a hotel? We'll have a pool. We'll have a jacuzzi. Yeah. Yes, it will. And they were good. But I decided to take them all on a trip eastward to visit some friends, some of the churches that I, that I work with in North Carolina. And then we're going to have a week at the beach. And they're going, oh, that's great. So I finished ministering uh, on a Sunday afternoon. And where I was, it was like, it was like a four-hour drive to the beach. And my girls, they're great. They're great people. But the patience thing, not so much. Right? And so we're here. It's late afternoon. And we're driving. And they're going, Dad, Dad, can we just go to a hotel? Right? And let's go to a hotel. And then, then, then tomorrow we'll go to the beach. You know, putting off this great, putting off this experience that I promised them they'll have. Let's just, let's just put it off. And they wanted a hotel. They wanted something that was familiar, something that had become a tradition. And I'm going, no, no, we're going to drive through. Oh, Dad! Oh, that. Because you can't say, I'm stopping and you're walking to the beach. You can't do that. <laughs> you, know, you think it, but you can't do that. 
So I'm driving, and it's starting to get a little dark, and, and they're getting tired. And we're maybe about 20 minutes from the beach. Just 20 minutes from the beach. And when I, yeah, and it was hot enough where we needed air conditioning, and I opened up the window. Yeah, it's too hot. You know, of course, it was like a blast furnace. I go, no, no, this is good. I knew what I was doing. They'd been complaining about, I want a hotel. Now it's really hot. But in barely short order, they start going, what's that? What's that? And I go, that's the ocean. I've never smelled the ocean before. You know? And the closer we got, the more they were apt, they were they were embracing the promise that they had yet experienced. They're going, can we get there? Do, do we have to go to a hotel first and unpack? Can we go right to the beach? They go, this is great. And my oldest daughter, she was like one of those dogs, you know, hanging her head out going, this is great. Right? See, God's a genius. He doesn't tell us to, to do everything all at once, a big, bold move. Sometimes he takes us from our shatim and says, why don't you get a little closer to the promises? Take some steps toward the promises. And the closer you get to the promises, the more the promises will be more prominent to you than Shatim, your failures, or even the past. It's just an amazing thing. Can you imagine the people of Israel? They go, man, we got to get out of Shatim. Mm. We, we don't want to repeat history. So we'll just move a little bit. There, we're right here. Probably in short order, they're looking over and go, that's the land of promise. We've never been there, but that's where we belong. I can smell it. I believe for some of us as individuals and as a church, God's just saying, do not maintain. Don't. Don't. There are things in your own life and even the church, just little by little by little, take steps toward some of the promises that God has for you and as a church. I know almost all the prophetic words over this church. I've read them, right? And some of them might have been mine, but most of them were not. Do you, do you realize, do you realize what God has for you? I mean, can you see it? Can you smell it? Are, are there things that are worth inconvenience? Are there things that are worth change? I think there are. Now, sorry, I, I got a little emotional. It wasn't out of anger. It was out of excitement, trying to exhort you. My wife says, sometimes your exhortation makes us duck. <laughs> but this is a great time to soberly go, hmm, where's my shatim? God, I don't want to settle when I should be taking steps forward. And if you can just pray that prayer and just take a couple steps, your promises, you'll be able to smell them. They'll become more prominent than your desire for going back, your desire for maintaining, your desire for what is predictable. So I want to pray that for us. Would that be okay? Lord Jesus, you started this great work. City Hill Fellowship is a testimony to your faithfulness, 
Oh my gosh, what a church, what a church family. Testimony after testimony after testimony. God, I ask, I ask that this would be a season that individually as a church you go, hmm, God, help all of us take steps away from that which is familiar toward the new things that you have for us. Because uh, we know that if we just take steps, the promises will grab more of our heart than if we stay where we're at. Again, God, do this for us. Do this for the sake of the people that you're going to entrust to us. God, do this for the sake of your name. Because wherever we are, we carry your name. Amen.